today as we think about this idea of transformation, I believe that God still has something more for every single one of us. That there's something more, that there's something in front of us. And so whether you're here in the room, if you're watching online, and every week we have people watch literally from all over the place. We have people watch from other states. We have people watch from other countries. And today I've got some friends that I know are watching from the lake right now. I'm not bitter, but I'm just saying they're, so we're grateful you are watching as well. But uh, one of the things that we really believe is that God wants to do something in every single one of us, myself included. And so when I teach today, I'm talking as much to myself as I'm talking to everybody else that God wants to transform us. And it doesn't happen in a moment. It doesn't happen like in a microwave kind of setting. It takes time. It really does. It takes time. And one of the great examples of one of the things that God uses in our life comes from the Old Testament story of Joseph. And so if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, be finding Genesis chapter 39. Or if you have the Sugar Hill Church app, you'll find a little tile in there that says message notes. And the, slide, the, the slides and the, the verses will be there. But Joseph is a powerful example of how we can come through a season where it seems like our dreams are dead. Now, what I mean by that, if you know the story of Joseph, and many of us have heard the story of Joseph over the years, we've taught on him a number of times over the years here. If you know his whole story, it's easy to see all the ups and downs in his life as obviously going to end in something great. See, when Joseph was about 17 or so years old, God planted a dream in his heart. God gave him this dream that said, hey, one day everybody's gonna bow down before you. One day you're gonna have incredible influence and one day I'm gonna use you in a powerful way. And the problem as a 17 year old is he didn't know how to carry that very well. And so he went and he told his older brothers about it. And they're like, what? One day we're gonna bow down to you, no way. And then he eventually told it to his father and his father was like, man, that, that's, that, that's odd, that, that's crazy. And so what happened for Joseph is his brothers hated him. In fact, his brothers came up with this plot. At one point, they wanted to kill him. And then at another point, they're gonna leave him in the bottom of the pit that they had thrown him in. And what they eventually do is they don't kill him, but they end up selling him into slavery. And so as a teenager, he's sent hundreds of miles away from home. He's bought by some Egyptians. And when they get to Egypt, they end up selling him on the slave market to one of the most powerful men in the land, a guy named Potiphar. And so Joseph ends up serving in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife, I don't know her name, we'll just call her Mrs. Potiphar. That's creative, right? And so Mrs. Potiphar uh, thinks he's really attractive and wants to sleep with him and he refuses. And so she's angry. And so she actually acts like Joseph tried to take advantage of her. And so Potiphar throws him in jail. And so if you know Joseph's story, you know that there's another end to jail. There's something still in the future, but let me just pause for a second. Let me just ask you just to consider for a second, what if you were Joseph? What if you were Joseph in the moment where you had done nothing wrong and yet you'd been falsely accused? What if you were Joseph and you knew there was a dream? I mean, legitimately, something God designed for you to do? What if you were Joseph and you believed at your core that God was gonna use you and yet every time, I'm telling you, every time you say yes, it seems like something goes wrong. How would you have felt? 
for Joseph, he didn't see the end of the story yet. All he saw was ups and downs. He saw all these stops and starts. He saw all of these obstacles in front of him. And now he's in prison for something he hasn't done. Imagine what that feels like. Imagine what it would be like to, to feel like, man, that maybe God's forgotten you. Imagine what it feels like to, to think, well, maybe this isn't gonna work out. What if you're Joseph with a big dream, but in the middle of the prison, that dream begins to die? Prisons will do that to you. Dungeons will do that to you. Seasons where you feel overlooked. Seasons where you feel forgotten. Seasons where you're praying for something big and yet it didn't seem like God answered. Seasons where it felt like, man, I've been trying to, to land a job in this economy and it's just not working. Seasons where you had all these hopes and plans and dreams and then life comes to a screeching halt. What ends up happening is you're tempted to forget. What ends up happening in the dungeon, in the prison, is you, you, you stop believing and you stop hoping and, and, and the dream that was inside of you begins to die and you begin to believe that the best is behind you, that there's no way there's something hopeful in the future and maybe the best is behind me, maybe all that was there is gone and in the middle of that moment, you've gotta ask the question, how do I keep the dream alive? Are you tracking with me? How in the middle of disappointment, how in the middle of heaviness, when it feels like you've been forgotten and you feel like you're alone, how do you not give up? Because maybe we find ourselves in a similar place as Joseph today. Maybe we, we find ourselves that where we had a dream and we had hopes, we had desires, and yet the fight of life and all the struggles of life and, and all the junk that surround us has started to weigh us down. And if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to quit dreaming. What I love about the story of Joseph is he shows us some activity, some actions you and I can take. What I love about the story of Joseph is is that even though Joseph, Joseph might've been tempted to quit dreaming and Joseph might've forgotten that dream, yet in the middle of the prison, he still took action that moved him towards God. And so this morning, if you find yourself in one of those places where you're wondering, has God forgotten me? And you're wondering, is, is there still any hope in front of me? I wanna encourage you to consider these actions that Joseph took. And again, these are in the app, but if you're a note taker, I'd love for you to track along with me. Here's action number one, is Joseph is dropped in that prison. When Joseph is locked up, number one, we must shift our perspective. We've gotta shift our perspective. One of the dangers in the middle of the prison is to only see what's right in front of you. You can call it tunnel vision, you can call it blinders, but what ends up happening in moments where we feel like we're in a jail cell is all we can see is that. It's hard to remember the faithfulness of God in the past. It's it's hard to think about the, the promises of God in the future. In that moment, our perspective can seem dark. In that moment, our perspective can seem, this is never gonna work out. Listen to what it says in chapter 39, verse 20. Talking about Potiphar, it says, so he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison. 
where the king's prisoners were held, and he remained there. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Now, I, I, again, I, I, I just want to put ourselves in Joseph's place. Joseph has done nothing wrong. Joseph has tried to be faithful. Joseph has protected his integrity and protected his purity, and he's had respect for his boss where he refused to, to, to follow the advances of Mrs. Potiphar, and yet now he finds himself in jail? Now he finds himself locked up with other prisoners? I mean, the temptation would be for Joseph to say, God, where are you? God, wh wh where have you gone? I, here I am trying to do the right thing, and now I'm dropped in this jail cell, and I am left uh, you know, to who knows what's going to happen. God, where are you? And yet here's the phrase in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Here's the reminder for us today. In every season of life, in every situation we find ourselves, in every prison or dungeon we find ourselves, we are tempted to cry out, God, where are you? God, where are you? And I'm telling you, sometimes when you're in the dungeon, it's hard to see what God is working on. Sometimes it's hard to see how God is working on. But I want to remind you, it is not hard to see where he is working because the promise of Scripture is he is still there with you. And it requires for us to shift our perspective. If you're a note taker, here's the principle underneath this first action that we can all take is that you don't have to understand everything to go through it successfully. We don't have to go through, we don't have to understand everything to go through it successfully. It, it, it reminds me in scripture where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways. And sometimes our perspective is so locked into the now that we forget what God is still doing around us. It's sort of like uh, a while back, I was traveling back uh, from a speaking trip and I flew back to Atlanta, I got in my car, I'm driving up 85 and then I hit 985 and I, everything was going great. I was like, this is awesome because when I first moved here, it seemed like you could time the time of day that you went through the city and you wouldn't get bogged down. But now it feels like all the time, you know, all, every time you try to go somewhere, you get bogged down. Well, this particular trip, 85 was smooth, 985 was smooth. I was about, I don't know, a couple of exits away from where our house is. And then suddenly 985 came to a screeching halt. Have y'all been there? And being a good preacher that I am, I got angry. <laughs> I started grumbling. I was like, I should have gotten something to eat. I should have, you know, gone to Chick-fil-A and had the Christian chicken. I mean, what better place to get saved, I think. If it's not church, Chick-fil-A is pretty good. I think that's good. And so I'm grumbling. I was like, I should have planned ahead. I can't believe I'm just a few minutes from my exit, and now I'm going to be stuck here forever. And so I started getting... Uh, impatient, so I'm trying to figure out, well, how can I get off the interstate? If I just ride the shoulder a second, can I get off on the side road and all this stuff? And so finally, I got impatient enough that I start making my way off. And what's crazy is, so I'm sitting there, you know, before I, I break the law and try to get off, um, I'm sitting there in traffic and all I can see are red lights, brake lights in front of me. And then I start making my way up the exit. You know, most exits go up. And when I got to the top, just like one minute beyond where I was sitting, traffic was gonna flow again. My perspective, oh, this is awful. All I see are brake lights, this is terrible, this is, this is dumb. And then 
if I'd just been patient or if I'd just shifted my perspective to an overhead view, I would know that just because I don't understand it now doesn't mean I'm not gonna understand it ever. And just because I don't see movement now does not mean there's not gonna be movement later. And so action number one is let's shift our perspective. Are you tracking with me? Let's realize that this little glimpse that we have is not all there is. Here's action number two from the life of Joseph is to stay faithful, to stay faithful. I love what it says in this chapter as it describes Joseph. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in prison, verse 21, and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Listen to verse 22. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in prison. The warden had no more worries because, look at this phrase, because Joseph took care of what? Took care of everything. The Lord was with them and caused everything he did to succeed. This is so powerful. I love the heart of Joseph because, again, he, he had done nothing wrong. He's in prison for something that he never did. He, he's being punished for doing the right thing. And, and even later, Joseph is going to be faithful to tell other people about Jesus. And yet in this moment, he, he doesn't quit. In this moment, he doesn't say, well, God, if this isn't going to work out, I'm just going to uh, do my own prisoner thing. Yet in this moment, he still serves. I mean, think about that phrase. Joseph took care of everything. He kept serving. He was faithful in his service. His service wasn't dependent on, are things going well? His service wasn't dependent on, do I see God answering my prayer? His service was faithful regardless of the circumstance. And what's interesting is in that circumstance, he grew. In that circumstance, he did something about it. See, dreams aren't just for the future. Dreams aren't just something out there someday, I hope. Dreams are built by the decisions we make today. And it's as if Joseph decided, God, I'm gonna grow wherever you place me. Even in the dungeon, even in the less than ideal circumstances, even though I didn't want this, Joseph succeeded in the worst place possible. And yet in that place, he found promotion. I think sometimes in our lives, we get frustrated with where we are. We get frustrated with circumstances and we get frustrated with our jobs and we get frustrated with people that, that are around us that are killing our dreams. And yet somehow Joseph was able to bring influence and that dark place got better. Here's the principle underneath that second point. In the face of frustration, faithfulness never fails. In the face of frustration, showing up and doing your best never fails. In the midst of unanswered prayers and dark dungeons, faithfulness never fails. That's one of the reasons why we believe that serving is so essential. That's one of the reasons why we love serving here in our community or here in a couple months to take teams of families to go to the Yucatan Peninsula to serve village churches because what's hard to do is it's hard to stay focused on our small perspective when you see people that are in a worse condition than you are. It's hard to go to a place like the Yucatan Peninsula where on the front end you think, well, I'm gonna go and bless them. 
And then you show up and you see what little they have and you see how hard work they have to do. And you, you, you see the, the links they go to to create a church and a community in the middle of a, of a place that is in desperate need of it. And what I've seen happen so often is when people come back, they say something like this. They say, when I went, I thought I was gonna bless them. But once I got there, they're the ones that blessed me. Are you tracking with me? That's what happens when we serve. So number one, we gotta shift that perspective see that God has a bigger picture. Number two, to stay faithful, to say, I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve. Here's the third action that, that, that Joseph took. He shunned bitterness. He shunned bitterness. I think one of the temptations when you're in a prison season of your life is to get bitter. And we all have been around bitter people. And we know what that looks like. Joseph doesn't do that. I mean, what's amazing is when you fast forward to chapter 40 and verses 14 and 15, Joseph talks to two other prisoners. He talks to a cupbearer, who's the person that tastes all the king's food to make sure it's not poisoned. And he talks to the baker who is, you know, obviously uh, important because every king likes to have fresh baked goods. Well, who doesn't? Let's, let's just think about that for a second. And so these two guys are going to see Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the land. And so Joseph is like, all right, here's what I want you to do. Verse 14, please remember me. That's not a big request, is it? Hey, when you get out of jail and I'm still stuck here, please remember me and do me a favor. When things go well for you, mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place. Just like, look, you're going to see Pharaoh. You're going to see the most powerful man in the land. I, I'm innocent. I was sold into slavery. I was falsely accused. I was thrown into jail. What's fascinating to me is that Joseph doesn't name names. Joseph doesn't point blame at other people. Joseph could have said, here's the names of my brothers. Go track them down. He doesn't say, hey, go find Mrs. Potiphar and track her down. Instead, somehow in the midst of the prison, Joseph had not become bitter. And I think sometimes when it feels like God is far off, I think the enemy has a strategy to try to get us to believe what the enemy believes, that God has forgotten us. And the enemy would love for us to become bitter. The enemy would love for us to become pessimistic the enemy would love for us to get angry and blame others or blame our situation, for us to believe there's no hope, for us to believe it's too late, that it's over. The enemy would love for us to begin to question if we should even trust God. But Joseph didn't get bitter. In fact, for Joseph, the prison didn't turn out to be punishment. The prison turned out to be preparation. For Joseph, God actually used the prison to reawaken the dream that he'd placed inside of him. God used the prison for Joseph to learn to develop his influence skills, to be able to lead up to the, the, the guards and charge them and lead sideways to the other prisoners in there. And so I would remind all of us that in those moments that feel like prison moments, we've got two choices. 
Choice number one, am I going to allow this situation to cause me to get bitter? Or am I allowed the circumstance to cause me to get better? Are you tracking with me? In every single moment, we've got two choices. In every single moment, sure, we can play the bitter card. We can play the victim card. We can act like, man, it's all these circumstances and all these other people, it's somebody else's fault. We can get bitter, bitter, bitter. We could either focus on bitterness or we could focus on betterness. I'm not even sure betterness is a word, but you're tracking with me, right? On Facebook, I just threw a simple question out there. I said, hey, what are the top two or three kind of things that have helped you grow? And so many of you responded, which I'm so grateful. We had, I think, 47 or so people respond last time I looked. And they gave a lot of great answers of things that helped them grow. Uh, People talked about getting married, uh, having kids. They talked about accountability, small groups, coaching. There's a lot of fantastic answers. But the number one theme that kept coming up over and over again was that people have grown the most through adverse situations. Man, I'm telling you, most of the time, we, on the front end, we wouldn't want a prison. On the front end, we wouldn't want to go through the season. And yet, if we would be honest, we would see on the other side, God used it to make us better. Are you tracking with me? So we've got to shift our focus. We've got to stay faithful. We've got to shun bitterness. Here's action number four, to strengthen our patience. It's this reminder that God's timing is not our timing. Joseph was first given the dream when he was 17 years old. And now most people would say that he's about 30 in this passage. See, most of the time we want God to answer immediately. We want to microwave spiritual growth and we want to microwave transformation. We want God to do it now. We want God to do it now. We want God to do it now. But it says in verse 46 of chapter 40, he was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh. Sold into slavery when he's 17. Serving Pharaoh at 30 year after year after years in prison. And I just want to remind you that you have to go through all you've been through to get to where you're going. In other words, what I'm trying to say is there may be heartache in your past, there may be prisons in your past, but if it didn't break you, if you survived it, you're better because of it. And there's part of you and there's part of me that was shaped by those hard seasons. Here's the principle that goes underneath this fourth point. It is always wise to wait. It is always wise to wait. Instead of trying to short short circuit God's transformation, it is wise to wait. Another way of saying it is patience pushes through our problems. Patience pushes through our problems. But there's a fifth action that Joseph took. Joseph isn't playing passive. He's not getting bitter. He's not saying, God, where are you? God, are you done with me? God, have you forgotten me? God, I feel alone. Here's the fifth action he took, secure your dream. Joseph had a dream. It was planted in him when he was young. It was planted in him as a teenager. The dream that one day all the world's resources would be at his disposal. That one day he would be able to influence thousands, if not millions of people. That one day that people were going to bow down at his feet. When he told his brothers, they're like, there's no way. We would never bow down at your feet. He told his dad, his dad was like, there's no way I'm ever going to bow down at your feet. And then yet when you fast forward to chapter 41, that's exactly what happens. 
Let me read you a couple of highlights from it. Chapter 41, verse 37, Joseph made suggestions to Pharaoh and they were well received by Pharaoh. Verse 40, Pharaoh says, you will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Think about that. This kid that was in prison, this kid that was left for dead by his brothers years ago is now in charge. Verse 41, he says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Down in verse 43, and he said, and he had Joseph ride in on the chariot reserved for a second in command. And whatever, wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. That dream lived on. That dream that seemed like it was far away lived on. And I guess the reminder I wanna give all of us today is that dreams rarely die. They just need to be resuscitated. In other words, that dream that God put in your heart, that thing that you've been praying for, that thing that feels so far off, I'm telling you, don't let that dream die. Allow God to breathe into it, to shift your perspective. This, it's not over yet. To serve faithfully, to say as best as I can, I'm still gonna show up. To shun bitterness, to say, hey, I'm, I, I may not be in the ideal environment, but I'm gonna help make it better. I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna get better through this. Man, it's amazing to think about what happens when we say, you know what, as I do this, I'm gonna strengthen my patience. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I, I'm gonna still show up even when it feels like the timeline's off and I'm gonna secure that dream. God, I still want to live it out. And so this morning, I've showed up in this place to say, don't let your dream die. Don't get bitter. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Come to this place today where you say, you know what, God, I believe you can breathe into my dream again. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? This morning, as we think about this powerful truth, there's two sort of reminders. One, if you're a believer, uh, we're just as tempted to give up. Don't give up today. Ask the Lord, Lord, would you, would you breathe into my dream today? God, would you breathe life where there feels like darkness? And the second reminder is if you don't know him personally, you don't have to go through this alone. There's a loving heavenly father that would love to save you and rescue you if you just ask him. You say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me and save me. It's not the words that save anybody, it's the heart behind it. If you pray that for the very first time, I'd love for you to drop us a note at hello at sugarhillchurch.com, hello at sugarhillchurch.com. Whether you're online or here in person, we've got some resources we'd love to give you as you start that walk with Jesus. But as I pray, we're gonna transition into a moment of what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And so as we pray together, 
one of the things I'm reminded of is that when Jesus had that last meal with his disciples, he used the picture of bread to represent his body. He used the cup of wine to represent his blood. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so it reminds us that Jesus is our savior. It reminds us that Jesus is still with us. It reminds us that Jesus is the one that can give life. And so as we pray, I wanna ask you just to check your hearts for a moment. If you know Christ personally, I I wanna invite you to be part of communion with us. And then if you do know Christ, would you ask him, are there any unconfessed sins in my life? Is there anything underneath the surface I need to confess to you? Is there anything, any bitterness, jealousy, pride, greed, lust, whatever those things may be? And before we come to the Lord's table to say, Jesus, would you forgive me of those things? Would you forgive me? Heavenly Father, as we prepare to worship through communion, I pray that you'd help all of us to take this moment to examine our hearts. We thank you for the price you paid. We thank you for the life you give. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. There's tables all around the room where you'll see these little cups. I wanna invite you, if you're participating in the Lord's Supper today, if you don't mind very prayerfully and quietly, if you'll just make it to the table nearest you and pick up one of these cups. One cup has everything you need per person. And then just bring this back to your seat we will walk through this together. Apostle Paul was writing to churches, one of the group of churches he wrote to were in the city of Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 11, he talks to them about the Lord's Supper. And he says, for I pass unto you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. And so I wanna invite you, there's a top layer there, just a real thin tab there. If you'll peel off that first layer, this this represents the body of Christ. Obviously it's not the body, but it represents that when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go as a spirit, he went as a body. And his body was broken for us. His body was sacrificed for us. That Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died for my sins, your sins. Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that Jesus went to the cross for us. That as you say in Philippians, that he was obedient even to the point of death, even death of the cross. When Jesus broke it in pieces, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance. If you'll peel that next tab, this juice represents what Jesus did when he was with those disciples. He took the promises that they'd been looking forward to. 
all throughout the Old Testament pointing to a Messiah, pointing to the day, as Jeremiah would write it, that he would wipe away their sins and remember them no more. So Jesus had that Passover uh, with his disciples, that last supper. And the Bible says that when Jesus came to the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink. You know, this weekend I was watching some preachers on YouTube and there's this one preacher I was listening to that described being at, I guess, sort of like a revival service, sort of like a camp meeting kind of service. And so there are several preachers preaching. And so this guy was watching, he's an older white preacher and uh, he was preaching and he was, after he got finished preaching, uh, a, a, a black preacher was gonna come up and preach after him. And that can be intimidating for us white preachers because we just don't have the soul that our brothers have. And preachers like two things. They like it when people talk back to them. So preachers like it when, when the crowd sort of responds. And we also like it when somebody's playing under us. It makes us feel a little more spiritual or something. That'd be even better if it was an organ. You know what I'm saying? And so I was listening to this white preacher and he was saying, man, I, I preached the best sermon I've ever preached. He said, as I preached, the, the crowd was responding. They were amening and you know, ladies were lifting their hankies and all this. And so the more they fed back, the better he said, I got. He said, it was the best sermon I've ever preached. He said, in fact, I wanted to stop and take notes on my own sermon. And so he got a little big headed about it. And so after he finished preaching, he sat down to his black brother that was about to preach. And he looked over at his black brother and said, good luck topping that one. And the black brother looked over at him and said, just wait, just watch. And he said, for the next 45 minutes, this black pastor got up and preached one of the most engaging messages around one line. And the line that his message was built around was, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Have y'all heard that before? He's, he got in that preacher voice and I wish I could do it, man. I wish I could do it. But he'd get in that preacher voice and he said, it's Friday. Jesus is praying, Peter is sleeping, Judas is betraying, but it's only Friday and Sunday's coming. Are you tracking with me? And he talked about that every time he did that, the crowd just started engaging. The crowd just started shouting it back to him. And so he went on, he said, it's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that it's only Friday, but you try it with me but Sunday's coming. That's pretty good, let's try it again. He said, it's Friday, the disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying, Peter is denying, but they don't know it is only Friday, but Sunday's coming. And I just can't help but to wonder if we feel like we're in a Friday where it feels like the prison is dark and the dream feels dim and it feels like I've been forgotten and it feels like sometimes I feel alone 
And sometimes it feels like, well, maybe God is far off, but I just wanna remind you that it might just be Friday, but I believe that Sunday is coming. Sunday's coming. Don't give up, don't give up.